Welcome to Dead House. I am Dylan. I'm Nathan. We are recording at yours again today. Mm-hmm. Is this like the third, fourth time we've it's tracked de- it? Yours? It's definitely the third. Oh, she, she's saying fourth. One of them. Okay. Saying fourth. We've got a. And who's she, Nathan? <laughs> she is the cat's mother, Dylan. Um, <laughs> she is my partner. He's in the room again. Yeah. Playing Hello, Mar- Mario Kart. Yes. Yeah. So if you hear any stifled laughter, <laughs> that'll be her. A live audience. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. might be the first time. I think we said that in the Jaws episode, but she wasn't here for long. She also had headphones on last time. Yeah. Okay. Now she's just listening to us. Yes. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we we you've had a you've had a busy weekend. Two gigs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on two weeks leave. So uh, as of Friday, and uh, brought it in strong. We went to see a Brisbane band, Young Lions. Mm-hmm. Play the zoo in Brisbane, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, not not like the zoo with animals. <laughs> a venue called <laughs> that the would zoo. work so well if they're called Young Lions. Yeah, because I told uh, my dad I was gone. Oh, my, yeah. my dad and sister, and they asked where I was like, "Oh, the zoo," and they're like, "Australia Zoo." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go see Young Lions at the zoo. Yeah, exactly. What, the, the zoo's open at night. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, no, it was cool. That was my probably third time, fourth time seeing them. Your second, I think. Second, I think it was at the zoo as well last time. Yeah, no, it was a good time. Had mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Met mm-hmm. some people there and uh, had a bit of a, a mosh, which we weren't expecting, but it was it was good. Yeah, I I keep saying not nah, not gonna mosh this time. Mm. I've I've broke my glasses in a mosh pit before. Ah, uh, yes, true. Much since then, it's like, nah, I'm too old for that. I don't need to mosh. Mm-hmm. Get a couple of drinks in you, and all of a sudden the mosh pit forms, and you're like, I'm going in. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, speaking of mosh moshing. I also uh, went to a show last night, uh, a, a little like local heavy festival called Fireball Fest, so sponsored by Fireball, which was uh, very cool. Got to have those um, Fireball whiskeys and, and apple juice, which mm-hmm. I forgot how, how dangerous they are. <laughs> very tasty. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was sick. We went with Sean and, uh, well, I went with Sean and uh, y- you were not there. <laughs> I mean, I was still recovering. And yes, it was very cool. Got to see some of my favorite locals, which was sick. Didn't really throw down. We just kind of... Head banged, nodded heavily with a drink in hand from the side. But it was good times. And uh, yeah, two weeks leave. Keen to chill out for a bit, make some music, watch some movies. Good times and great classic hits. This is 4KQ. I don't know. It just <laughs> popped, popped into my head. I had to say it. For your Sunday afternoon <laughs> drive. Anyway, uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a movie. Yes, we are. A, a very iconic uh, intimidating oh, film to review. Yeah, probably, I mean, other than Jaws, probably our biggest movie that we've talked about. I would say so. In terms of horror, probably more influential than Jaws. For sure. Less of a blockbuster that Jaws was, but mm-hmm. in terms of people's like great classics, yeah, especially like 80s classics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Shining is up there. The Shining. The Shining. i, I got to say at the top, we got to try and not make so I know. many goddamn Simpsons <laughs> references in this. I've got to try not to... <laughs> Quote the Simpsons the entire episode, but there will be a few guaranteed. I mean, that just goes to show how good that episode is. Oh yeah, like it's they such do, a good parody. They do such a good job parodying it that yeah. it just, oh, you just, for can't, sure, you can't think of the shining without thinking of the shinning. Absolutely, and uh, I don't know. For me, it's just like automatic. I don't realize I'm doing it. It's like a tick. If someone <laughs> talks about the shining and I quote the reference, uh, the fucking if I quote the Simpsons mm. when they talk about the shining, I don't even realize. Probably doesn't help. I saw the episode of The Simpsons before the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. in my mind, that was the original. That's fair. Uh, I mean, this is another one that would probably be in the bottom five of my top ten. It almost <laughs> made my top five. Like, when we did that episode way back when. Yep, okay. It, it, was, it was tied with, with one of them. But, uh, no, look, rewatching got, got it down. again for this pod, because I rewatched it 
um, not too long ago um, for the... Doctor Sleep? Yeah, the, the sequels episode. Oh, yeah, true. When I was talking about Doctor Sleep. And uh, watching it again today, it's one of those ones you just like kind of pick up something new or you just like notice... Not, not pick up something new, but you, you notice like how something worked, I guess, differently each time I watch it. It's a for, very for example. Well, it's a very technical film. I mean, it's Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, so is the, the director. Yeah, like the way it was shot is is definitely just as intriguing as the story and the performance from the incredible actors in this. But uh, as we mentioned, I think in one of the last episodes, I also recently read the book The Shining by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to kind of watch it again after reading the book and you know having the seen the film so many times before and being able to see the parallels, but also how vastly it differed mm-hmm. uh, because obviously King famously disliked yes. this adaptation. Yes. And, um, Which, to be fair, I mean, like, someone takes your story and mm. he would have had to give permission, right? Well, he wrote the original screenplay. Which, which was just adapted by Kubrick. But Stanley Kubrick didn't look at that, though, did he? Oh, I'm sure he... You know what? I think he... I think there's a famous story where he had, like, a secretary in an office over, or, like, in the in the room over in the office, and she would hear thuds on the walls, and they were books that he would read, like, the first page of. And if it didn't grab him, he'd throw it at the wall, like, okay. looking for something he could adapt for the screen. Right. And when she hadn't heard a thud for a while, she walked in and found him reading The Shining. So that's how... So maybe he did, like, read the book before he heard of the yeah, yeah, I, screenplay. I'm, I'm sure he read the book, but I don't think he read King's screenplay. Okay. Well, there you go. But anyway, yeah, so King would have had to probably sign off on giving the rights to make a movie. Mm. But mm. then I guess what had no input in it at all. Yeah, not a lot. Cause I mean, even when he was like pitching actors, he wanted for certain characters. He was overruled yeah. rather harshly. I, I saw some interesting choices, but I can't remember what they were. I can get to that later. Okay. Cause I, I was like down for all of them. Like any of them. I mean, Jack Nicholson's performance is like one of the best portrayals of a villain. I think I've ever seen, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, the other ones would have been like close seconds, I think, if they had have gotten the role. But all right, yeah, I mean, a bit of background, as you mentioned, directed by Stanley Kubrick, who did like A Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. uh, Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket, Jacket. among others. <laughs> did he do Doctor Strange Love? I don't. How about Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb? I can't remember. I think he did. I know he's got like a really weird like catalog, but I think those three are the only ones I'm familiar with. I haven't okay. even seen Eyes Wide Shut. Neither have I. But yeah, written by Kubrick and Diane Johnson, based on the 1977 novel, as we said. And, uh, of course, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, uh, who actually had a, a cameo as a spectator of some sort in Doctor Sleep, okay. I read, which is kind of cool. Right. Um, and Scatman Crothers that, as Dick other, Alleran. Other than being such a cool name, yeah. Scatman Crothers. Like I think his real name is Benjamin. Okay, well, that way to ruin it for me, dude. What the hell? What, were you going to say? I wonder what his name is. No, I just thought his name was Scatman. No. <laughs> no, I think it was like a, a television singer or like personality. I could see that. He's, he seems real jazzy. Yeah. Yeah. I also kind of like that, you know, cast Jack Nixon as a Jack and Danny Lloyd as a Danny. It would have yeah. been easier to, to shoot. But why? I don't know. It might have just been happenstance. Mm. Yeah. Because, like, that's their, their names in the book. So, the book came a few years before the film. Oh, of course. And, uh, but yeah, as you mentioned before, like, some of the actors they were considering for Jack Torrance uh, included Robert De Niro. Okay. Harrison Ford. Oh, I don't which, like that. I wouldn't have gone no, for that. that's bad. Was, what I would have loved. Okay. Is John Voight on that list? John Voight? Yeah. Okay. That was one that King pitched. Oh, And Kubrick right. turned it down. But after seeing Anaconda recently, <laughs> I'm like, he could have done it. Yeah, I reckon. 
Uh, and my personal favourite, Robin Williams. Robin motherfucking Williams. He would have been fucking creepy, I think, as Jack Torrance. Yeah, because... Because he's weird he, in, like, one-hour photo. Yeah, he, he's really good at like playing a, a serious role. Yeah. But then Com- also just creepy. I think we've had this conversation. Like, comedians can play really fucked up characters. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they just have so much, like, facial expression and body language. And mm. they can overlook things like, um, you know, personal space or... Uh, it, like, creep. Like, in Creep, where he's, mm-hmm. like, too friendly and it's just unsettling. Yeah, I reckon he would have been sick. But, no. Uh you know, I digress. Jack Nicholson uh, is phenomenal in this mm-hmm. role and has obviously stood the test of time. And King did not want him at all for the role, right? I think specifically because, like, all his previous movies, he'd played sort of unhinged characters. Yeah. And so he was worried that people, audiences going into the movie would be like, oh, it's Jack Nicholson. Of course he's going to be unhinged and crazy. Yeah, I think particularly after seeing One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest... Where it's like mm-hmm. literally set in like a psychiatric hospital, yeah, and he's the kind of one riling him up and being a bit of a bad boy. But I I've heard that like even in school he was like in detention almost daily. He was just like one of those class clowns. So nah, that makes sense. Kind of born for it. But uh, in terms of the uh, uh, the commercial success of it, um, it had a budget of nineteen million dollars, but it only made forty seven point two million at the box office. Uh, it was, what, very divisive when it first mm. came out. It won, oh, sorry, it was nominated for, I don't think it won, two Razzies. Yeah. The Razzie Awards, which were crazy. just these awards that sort of hand out these, I don't know, mock awards for mm. famously shit movies or yeah. actors. And so I think it was nominated for Worst Director and Worst Actress. I think my boy Shyamalan has had a few. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. But yeah, it's one of those films that... It must have just developed a cult following that's appreciated over time because it's now considered, I think, the best film adaptation of a Stephen King novel by many mm-hmm. and uh, just one of the, the most memorable and influential horrors, period, mm-hmm. uh, of all time. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how a lot of people didn't care for it upon release, um, particularly like film critics, like people that know their shit. And, uh, so not us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well... A common argument was that it was too long and too slow, and I read that the original premiered runtime was two hours and 26 minutes, which is quite long, given that it's, like, a lot of long-tracking shots Compare and long that dialogue. to movies these days, though. People are waiting, like, three and a half hours. Yeah, I know, but they're generally action films, right? What, Bo was Afraid? Wasn't that three hours? Well, I haven't Which seen Which still yet to watch, but yeah, I don't but think that's action. I was thinking like fucking Zack Snyder's Justice League and things oh, like okay, that. Yeah, Guardians yeah, yeah. of the Galaxies films. Um, did I just say Galaxies? Yep. <laughs> but yeah, two hours, 26 minutes originally. Um, and I rewatched it on like a remastered DVD before this pod. Um, and it was just shy of two hours. So that's like almost half an hour cut. Okay. Because so. I, know, I, I know there was a like an ending scene that was cut for... Well, I don't know if it was for time where... Oh, like, like post the, the snow thing. Post the snow, they go take um, Danny to the hospital and then mm. they go... I don't know if it's them, but people go back to look for Jack's body and it's gone. Okay, okay. But I think they... I think I read they took that out because it like made them seem crazy or something. Like I they mean... Just, they, didn't, they just didn't like the message that it was sending. I think, I think I've read that and the main reason test audiences didn't like it was because like how would you lose the body? It'd be frozen. You'd find it eventually when the snow melts. Well, yeah, but I, I would have think I would have thought that means that 
uh, you know, more, <laughs> more, more of the movie, uh, like, like supernatural shit. Yeah, going. okay. I see what you're saying. at the end, he disappears into that photo. Like, yeah. I, I would assume it's just his physical form. Okay. Transcends into the astral plane and fucking... <laughs> I don't know. You go into Doctor Sheep. It's getting deep. Doc- Doctor Sheep. Holy fuck. Doctor Sheep. <laughs> Counting Sheep. There's some puns in there. Uh, Doctor in Doctor Sleep, they get into like astral projection and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was interesting and um, shot in a 1.3 to one aspect ratio, so almost a fucking square. Yep. Which uh, of course helps you know create that sense of claustrophobia, which I like. Yeah, given it's got to be like the fifth or so movie episode we've talked about with aspect ratios. Yeah. I never notice. Well, I can never tell what it looks like. Okay. I don't I, know. I, I, my brain just doesn't work that way. I don't know because like I watch more on DVD than a streaming service whereas you're the other. Mm. I think maybe does Netflix like zoom in more so it fills the screen? Oh, maybe. Or, or does it have the letterbox effect or? I don't know. I think streaming services in general do. Yeah. Because okay. there was that like when they put all the Simpsons on Disney Plus yep. they used a different aspect ratio so a lot of the jokes got cut out. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, weird. But, um, yeah, it definitely helps, like, with that kind of cabin fever vibe, I guess. Uh, and this was also one of the first major... Ma- oh, okay. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> what is that? One of the first major motion picture films, I should say, uh, that used the Steadicam, which okay. 100% worked to its benefit with these long tracking shots, um, you know, like, following uh, Danny on his trike or... Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of Jack walking down a corridor, things like that. So, um, really nice to see, and obviously uh, integral to to how this film uh, stood the test of time. And yeah, like we said, a mixed reception on online, and uh, a lot of the techniques though that Kubrick. I don't know if they were ones that kind of became his trademark prior to The Shining, um, or there whether it's this film in particular. But some of his like filming techniques that now pop up in other other films. And uh, even just like set design and, and quotes from it, you hear all the time in, in popular culture. And mm-hmm. a very kind of strict, uh, he, he sounds like a very stern director, like a very, uh, uh, if he's got a vision, he that's, follows that's it. That's definitely one word for it. I think OCD is another. Yeah. Or like just restrictive is, yeah. is, is another. It's like his way or nothing from the sounds yeah. of things. Like even the way, like I said before, he was just kind of overriding King's input. <laughs> and it's like his, a his lot baby. Of, a lot of... Yeah, a lot of, it's my movie, like, we're going to do it exactly my way, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that can work to some director's credit, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, like, I heard he kind of was borderline mistreating or abusing, like, Shelley Duvall. Uh, Not borderline, I think it was 100%. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if that was just, like I said, his um, kind of OCD and, like, getting it right, or whether he was just trying to get a reaction out of her as an actor. I think... I think based on sort of the accounts that I've heard from like assistants and people who actually worked in the movie, mm. it, like it was, he did it on purpose to like get her more into character. Yeah. Okay. Which is a shitty thing to do. Like she, yeah. I think he got other cast members or people on the, like on the set mm. to avoid her and try and like get her isolated. Oh, wow. Interesting. I did read that the, the baseball bat scene, like mm-hmm. on the stairs, uh, they like <laughs> redid that 127 times. Yeah. Yeah. Which he's, is, he's, he's very much, uh, he's very much known for like redoing scenes lots and lots of times. Mm. I think he made Scatman Crothers cry at, at one point. Wow! Because he just kept doing him, kept making him do the exact same scene, and then Scatman was just like, "I think was like, Mister Kubrick, what do you want?" Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it's almost like they do that to get to a point where the actor is so over it that they snap, and as a result, deliver like a really sort of believable 
performance. That's a good point. I, I kind of like that. I actually. mean, it's like in Whiplash. There's a scene where <laughs> Miles Teller is rehearsing like in his room and he's just playing the shit out of the drums and he's like dripping sweat. His like... Palms rot- are bleeding. Yeah, he's, he's got fucking blood on the skin and... Um, there's like a point where he fucking drops a stick and he like punches through the skin of the snare. Apparently that wasn't scripted. They mm. just like made him play until he physically couldn't and shot it for however long that took, but then just kept the last bit as the scene. It's To effective. show like how long he was rehearsing for the purpose of the story. So yeah, I mean, I feel like Kubrick would have taken it too far <laughs> in this instance, but it can prove to be, to be beneficial to the, to the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, something else I really like was they shot multiple versions of that typewriter scene, which is probably my favorite in the whole film, I think. Okay. Um, when Wendy finds a stack of pages that all just say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm-hmm. And he changed the idiom to be like some kind of um, turn of phrase in different languages for international screenings. Right. So like, like, like what? Like in Italy or Germany or whatever, it would have been a phrase that they use in that country instead of... Like their translation of that. Oh, because I guess the, the like the expression wouldn't just, be known over there. Yeah, just in case they didn't understand. But that it, wouldn't yeah. really pack a punch because his name's Jack. All work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. It very much makes sense in the context of the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't or know what it's going for. To, I don't know. You can lead a horse to water. <laughs> what is wrong with us today? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. <laughs> like that wouldn't make sense in context of the movie yeah no that's fair but yeah i just found that interesting just like just another example of the lengths that he was going to just to um to get what he wanted but yeah and plus well i would assume that means that they'd have to have all those other ones typed up as well yeah 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 because i'm sure he had some poor assistant just typing up because all those pages because all those pages because they have like mistakes on them it was like a stack it was like thousands Mm. thousands of pages Mm. and all i love that all the the phrasings in like different patterns (laughs) on the page there's like one that's like a diamond shape and yeah it's just really cool to see like the effort that went into that um but also i think they changed the script on like a daily basis okay uh to the point where like jack nicholson just stopped trying to memorize it and he would just in the end, improvised lines. Like, I think even the famous Here's Johnny mm-hmm. line when he breaks through the door was improvised and uh, Kubrick almost cut that in the edit because it, it obviously wasn't scripted. But it's now, like, probably the most quoted aspect yep. of this film. I could see why he would want to cut that because apparently it's a reference to, what, I don't know if it's Johnny Carson or some, some uh, TV some, like, host American who would start his show with Here's Johnny. Which I did not know until I read that fact about this movie. Yeah, see, I knew it from like hearing other people say that. But mm. if no one told me about that and so I like, saw that film, I wouldn't get it. Yeah, he wanted to cut it because no one would get the reference. But nowadays, mm. nobody gets the reference anyway. It's the reference yeah. is to The Shining. Well, it kind of works anyway because like in the book, I'm pretty sure Jack is like a nickname for John. Like his name's John Torrance. Oh, okay. So saying here's Johnny, kind of like it's a double entendre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, and he was also like worried that wouldn't resonate with foreign audiences. So yeah, it's interesting how to to see how like over time all that like the things that you wouldn't expect would be the most memorable become the ones that mm-hmm. everyone quotes mm-hmm. and gets represented down the track. So yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like all our listeners would know The Shining. It's pretty much a, a staple just in cinema in general. For those who don't, for some reason, uh, in well, a nutshell. I mean, you say that, but you know, my partner. Had never seen it until I showed it to her. She would have known what The Shining was, though, right? Haunted Hotel. She's family not, she's, going insane. What's the episode of nodding? She's shaking her head. Well, 
for the other Alexes out there, it's uh, essentially uh, this guy becomes like a winter caretaker of this hotel that's hella isolated up in the mountains and uh, it closes uh, in the off season in the winter. So he, his wife and his kids stay there and his kids got ESP, I think he's five in the book. So um, he can kind of like get premonitions or visions and can sense things that, mm-hmm. you know, either are yet to happen or things that happened a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. And um, the hotel kind of just has this personality of its own and kind of oppresses the people there to do horrible things and um, pair that with the isolation. And uh, Jack snaps and and tries to to butcher his family. That's it. That's the movie. See, I was confused when I was younger watching this film, like why it was called The Shining. Because like I must have just missed the line where like the cook... Is talking um, about Shining. Yeah, Dick Halloran calls that like... Uh, what's it called when you can like speak to people in your mind? Tele- telepathy. Is it telepathy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls that, or his mother, his grandmother, sorry, called that Shining. Mm-hmm. And I thought they didn't go into that too much in the film. Like it seemed like more of like just a descent into madness, like yeah. a like kind of a ghost story, which I think was one of King's biggest qualms with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's called The Shining, but I'd say at its core, the movie is about like Jack. Not necessarily anything mm. supernatural per se. It's just him going crazy because of these outside influences. Yeah, and I mean that isolation has definitely a big impact on his like withdrawal from alcohol mm. because the novel, you know, was inspired by Stephen King's stay with his family at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado <laughs> and his struggle with alcoholism as well. But it's also got, like, underlying themes of, like, racism and sexism in there. Mm-hmm. Um, like, domestic violence, obviously, as well. But um, just, like, the tension between, like, the black and white cast. Uh, and in terms of, like, when I think Ullman is, like, giving them the rundown on closing day at, like, a tour of the hotel. And he says it was built built on an ancient <laughs> Indian burial ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he says, like, oh, they were fighting Indians off while they were yeah. building it. So, like, the Native Americans... Once again, some sacred land built up on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so a lot of that kind of just ties in with each other. And uh, in a way, the the hotel hauntings are kind of just a metaphor for all of that. Mm-hmm. If you want to like bring it into modern day. Modern but day. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see kind of how it differs from the book because... The there, there are some like major differences and the ending particularly is, is very different. So like in the book, uh, when, when Jack's skulking down the halls with the axe trying to find his family, it's a roke mallet, like a croquet <laughs> yeah. mallet. And uh, Dick I'm Halloran... I'm 100% fine that they change that because yeah. that's not that intimidating Less visually. Yeah, it's more bludgeoning mallet. than fucking yeah, splitting people open. Mm. Uh, yeah, and Dick Halloran lives. So in this, oh, I would have liked that because yeah. he's probably my favorite character. Yeah, I know. He's just got some. He's got some attitude. He's got. Like. He's got like that. That jazzy hospitality. Yeah. He's just cool. He's suave. Very likable character. Mm. And yeah, in this, obviously, he finally gets there after. That fucking is such a catches oh, a plane, drives through the yeah. snow, rocks up in a fucking snow cat, they and then just acts a, to the chest. They spend a good <laughs> amount of time building up his journey back, and yeah. then just suddenly fucking dead. Because remember I mentioned to you, mm. I was like, oh, he's he's far away and he like goes to all these links to get there. And you're like, but in the film, he's there like that night. So that would have been a shock for like test audiences because it would have been like, wow, this is really lovable character that's, they've just shown so much of his journey to get here. And then mm-hmm. he's just like killed instantly. 
Well, I, I, I did read that I think the way that Stanley Kubrick shot the scene where Jack finds Wendy in like his study, mm. like they, they shot it in a way that wouldn't be suspenseful. Like he just, he doesn't suspensefully or scarily appear out of nowhere. Yeah. Like it goes to his POV and then he just slowly walks into frame. Okay. So that like when that shock came later, it still would have all that tension. Yeah. Similar to, I think, like when Steven Spielberg was making Jaws, he's like, all right, you get one good scare in the movie. Yeah. So you got to pick it right. Mm. Okay. I can see that. Mm. But yeah, it was just unusual. I guess it's kind of just to show the brutality of it, but, uh, and how like determined he is to do what the the hotel tells him to. I mean, that's the first and only like kill in the movie. Yeah. Like Jack dies at the end, but it's his own fault. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean... I guess the bonus of having the mallet as opposed to the axe is in the book, Wendy is like brutally beaten. Yeah. He's like chasing her down the hall, like breaking fucking vertebrae in her spine and um, like breaking ribs and shit. Whereas in this, he never actually like gets to her. Yeah. Well, because if you get to someone with an axe, then you're pretty much dead. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, interestingly, in the book, the hotel boiler room explodes and kills Jack inside it when he's trying to stop it. Okay. Um, and obviously in the film, he freezes to death in the hedge maze. So it's kind of like instead of being destroyed by heat, it's cold. It's almost yeah. like the opposite. Which... Well, it kind of makes sense then at the end of Doctor Sleep because he blows it up. Like Danny blows the place up. Yeah, Doctor Sleep. So I don't know if that's their way of going back and saying like, oh, well, they didn't do it in the movie The Shining. So yeah. they didn't do it in the Doctor Sleep. Because I don't know how obviously the Doctor Sleep book ends. Yeah, I think uh, I have read that Mike Flanagan definitely wanted to tie it in mm. some way more closely to the book because he's such a King fan. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, you'll like this. Room 237. Yep. The the dead the ha- the bath room. lady. Uh, that was 217 in the book. Okay. And... After reading it and then watching the film like this week, I was like, wasn't that a different number? So I Googled it and apparently room 237 in the hotel they shot it at was non-existent and they changed the number because they didn't want future guests to be deterred from staying in room 217. Okay. (laughs) Which is kind of funny. I guess if you're like having a movie made at a like probably, you know, prestigious hotel. Mm. I don't know what hotel it was. I can't remember the actual one it was. But if you're letting a, a these, lot of it was sits. Yeah, though. if you're letting these people film a movie at your hotel, you want to try and like stay professional. I mean, but if it then goes on to become this huge successful movie, like I feel like if I'm going to that hotel, I want to stay in that room. Oh yeah, there'd be like a cultural phenomenon where like podcasters and influencers <laughs> yeah. want to stay there. Yeah, like let's do it from room two one seven. Just becomes fourteen oh eight where like haunted uh, hotel writers just want to like stay in yep, the room. Exactly. Um, and and lastly, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things in the book that didn't make the film was there's a topiary um, by the hedge maze with like hedge animals, mm-hmm. like lion, uh, lions and a dog and uh, a rabbit and stuff that like come alive in the book. And they're kind of like the fucking weeping angels from mm-hmm. Dog 2 where if you look away, they move, you look back and they're still, but they'll like change positions. And there's a point where it's like actually attacking fucking Danny and... <laughs> And Dick, when he's like on his way to the hotel near the end. I like that. They obviously just w- would have been too hard to film in the film, so they cut that out. But Well, I guess they would probably also cut it out because from the sounds of it, Stanley Kubrick wanted to lean more into the just the person side mm. of it, like the Jack going crazy and killing and he's the villain, not so much the hotel. Yeah. So if you're then adding all these hedge maze animals, other than like 
more breaking the suspension of disbelief of like, okay, well now there's fucking like hedged animals coming to life and killing people. Yeah. It more just like leaves Jack as the central antagonist. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, <laughs> Jack Nicholson, he's so convincing. Like he's so expressive. Like I was saying before, it's just the the facial expressions and the body language and even just like the compelling delivery of mm-hmm. his lines where he's just like screaming in her face and just like spit flying and like red in the face, hair falling in front of him. Like it's just so good. He gets so into it. And it's like I was telling you after I saw it, um, it's all in the eyebrows, man. Yeah. <laughs> eyebrows and that like flickering tongue that he does. Yeah. So creepy. It, I, I, I very much like his performance. Yeah. Like how can you not? But I am kind of on King's side of I've, think i would have liked it better if he at the start of the movie was just a normal guy yeah like from the from the get-go jack nicholson is like crazy you know he's not in the interview he seems quite polite and he's got his mannerisms that make him out to be kind of strange i don't know just quirky yeah very very quirky not not violent yet just not not violent yeah um and so he's kind of this and especially every scene he has with Wendy, mm. like he's an asshole to her. Yeah, like from the get go, they they it looks like they don't have a happy marriage. Well, that's what I mean. It's like in the in the book, it kind of slowly shows the breakdown of the marriage because, mm. like, three years before it was set, he was uh, working on a a play or or a book, and Danny like knocked the pages off, and he grabbed his arm to like punish him, and ended up breaking it, uh, dislocating. So, but- so, now there's like, well, in the book, it broke it. Oh, well, um, actually. <laughs> so now there's this like distrust between mm-hmm. him and Wendy, whereas they kind of address that after the fact in the film. So he's just kind of like all of a sudden like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit too abrupt, I it, thought. It, it would have been nice to see right, normal guy, happily married, yeah. happy, good relationship with his family. And then that just goes to show that like the fall later mm. is that much more tragic. Yeah, like even in the interview when Ullman asks like how are your wife and son going to take it and he just kind of hesitates and he's like, they'll love it because yeah. he's kind of just uh, looking forward to having some time to just work on his play. Mm. Like he doesn't particularly care like where their interests lie. Yeah, but also like maybe it's just in his portrayal, but if he is actually not that happily married, mm. that's like the worst, that's, that's the worst thing you want to do. You don't want to, if you're unhappy with your life and your marriage and your son, yeah. then you don't want to spend every waking moment alone with them for the I next mean, five to six months. I mean, I work in retail and so I get a lot of weird customer service stories. We had this one where a customer's TV was faulty and had to be sent away for a pair for assessment and to get parts from a technician, all this shit. So they were without it for a number of weeks, I think it ended up being. Um, and he came into store and was like flipping off the managers because he blamed them for his marriage breakdown because they <laughs> didn't have the a TV fuck? to distract them. He's like, now that I have to talk to my wife, we're fucking arguing all the time. And it's like, okay, that's obviously a deep-seated issue that you need to address. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Can I call a psychiatrist for you? Yeah, it was so funny. But um, yeah, and I've had a friend show me a video from like behind the scenes of Jack Nicholson preparing for the scene where he like bashes through the bathroom door. Um, and while like the crew are running around getting ready with the slate and the camera set up, he's just like swinging at the air with the axe. He's like walking around the room, like pulling at his hair and like laughing maniacally. It's so cool to see him himself out. Yeah. Get in the mood for it. Really cool. But I know Shelley Duvall is often criticized for her role in this film. Uh, just, I don't know if it's just cause she looks too terrified and she's like helpless, but she like, to me, she was genuinely terrified and convincing, and she was also like the most logical. Yeah, like yeah. Danny's hurt, 
He's got like the bruises on his neck. She just wants to take him to the nearest town to see a doctor. Like, I don't know why people hate her in this. I think a lot of people's complaints would maybe just be that she's too passive. Like, she doesn't really do anything in the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, do. there are scenes of her, like, working out how to use the boiler. So it's like, while, while Jack's off fucking typewriting and yeah. shit, she's the one that's actually keeping the hotel, you yeah, know, from she, freezing. She's, like, working on the boiler. She's radioing the police, mm. making breakfast and lunch and shit. And she does fight back a little bit. She cuts his hand. Yeah, clocks him over there with a the baseball bat and yeah, okay. locks him in the pantry. Like, I don't I don't see, like, everyone's qualm I with this. I guess people are just hateful towards her for no reason. Yeah, Maybe it's those damn teeth. I mean, the weird, like, snort she does when she's crying is kind of annoying, but <laughs> other than that. Yeah. And another thing, like, um, Danny's imaginary friend, Tony, where he, like, mm-hmm. puts on the weird croaky uh, voice with the finger. friend that lives in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta add that little well, chestnut. They didn't really explore that too much in the film, but in the book, they take him to see a doctor, mm-hmm. and they kind of say how, like, the doctor doesn't believe it's an imaginary friend. They believe it's, like, a coping mechanism um, for like the shine because he doesn't understand these visions he like invents this person that's showing them to him but mm-hmm. then they reveal that his middle name is Anthony mm-hmm. so like he created Tony because it's himself I thought that was all implied yeah maybe like, that's the way I read it that's why I saw it okay well you might just be a smarter viewer than <laughs> I am then. no I don't know like, I thought that's pretty much what they were saying was that Tony is his coping mechanism because when I think after like the bathroom scene mm. he becomes like Tony yeah, for a, for a little while and uh, fucking what's his name? Danny. Danny doesn't like come out until like way later. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Maybe okay. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just uh, misremembering what was in the book and what was in the film. Yeah, that's um, that's gonna be hard. And I mean, there's some like iconic visuals in this film too, like the fucking elevator blood. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I think they show that what twice, maybe three it's times. A, it's a few times because they show it. As, like, Danny is shining and, like, freaking out. But then, I think, later in the film, when Wendy kind of becomes the final girl and she's, yeah, like, Wendy doing the lap of the hotel and she sees all these visions, she sees the blood. Yeah. Which, as good as that scene looks, mm. why is it in there? It's, it's, it's a cool it's, visual. It's an elevator that has blood coming out of it. What does that mean? That's terrifying. I don't know how the fuck they filmed it. Uh... Fucking got an elevator filled yeah, with blood. It looked pretty legit though. Like it would have been practical, I'm sure, because well, that that part would have been a set for sure. I, I did read that to get past the like the sensors, they had to tell. Well, they lied to him and said it was rusty water, <laughs> and that apparently knocked it down, stopped it from being like X or R rated or something. As in, like what they used or what it was meant to like be. Like what the it film. was meant to be. No way yeah. they believe that. What oh, the I, hell? I think that's how they got away with putting it in the trailer. That's funny. Is they they told them no, it's just rusty water. <laughs> Side, the blood usually gets up on the second floor. God damn it. Uh, and I mean, the twin girls, like, there's a, a common criticism. I mean, of, it says it, that they look like twins, but don't they say they're like eight and ten? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they're not twins. Yeah, but they, like, call them the twins. Mm. So it's, yeah, kind of a plot all there, but no, they're creepy. I mean, young girls in horror films are always fucking creepy. Yeah, especially when they are yeah dressed alike, when they look alike, when they're speaking together in that weird voice, and yep. then when they're you know British for some reason. Yeah, well, even though Grady was not, <laughs> I don't think was he. I think it was just no. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe he just sounded posh. Maybe the mother's British. Yeah, that could be it. I don't know. And uh, yeah, what about that scene where like Danny's playing with his cars on the carpet, and that ball just like rolls up and stops right in front of him, looks up, no one's there. That was cool. So then leads him to, to room 237? Yes, two, mm-hmm. 237 in the film. Yeah. There we go. And in, in the film, you don't really see the woman till Jack goes in there, right? 
Um, you just see Danny emerge with the ooh. like marks on his neck. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, because I think I, I thought maybe you did, but no, I guess not. I think because Jack oh. approaches it and it's open with like the light on, mm. and that must be where you see the figure behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because the next scene is uh, like when uh, Wendy goes to Jack and then Danny comes in and then she blames him. Fucking shower curtains, man. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, at least this time there's a pretty lady behind it. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, pretty to start. With. <laughs> to start with, what would you do in that situation? You've you've found an open room with the lights on in what you believe is an empty hotel. Well, I'm would not, you go in? I'm not a crazy man, so no. Okay. I mean, I might go in, but <laughs> as soon as I saw a, a woman that's not supposed to be there, I wouldn't want to yes. be in that place anymore. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> You're not meant to be here. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, then you do have, like, the bar scene, of course, and all Jack's hallucinations. And uh, it's kind of odd, because I would expect that he'd question it a little more. Yeah. But, like, as soon as he's hallucinating, he just accepts and is like, well, I'll mm. Lloyd, and he calls the bartender. He's like, <laughs> that's the bartender's name. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he just starts drinking. It's like, well, it, does this man know he's crazy? I think he's just that desperate for a drink that he's like, oh, fuck it, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't know. I, I guess I just would have liked to see at least some sort of confusion on his face or, mm. I don't know, something. Even like the masquerade ball, like when everyone's there and you've got like, you can hear the commotion of everyone kind of mingling and he's just kind of like dancing to the music with like the drink and then, because uh, when like Grady bumps into him and spills the shit on him and they like go into the bathroom and have mm-hmm. that really long, awkward conversation, really, yep. <laughs> I don't think like that per se is in, in the book. Like, they're not in the bathroom. I think it's... um They're just, like, talking in the middle of that, that ball. But okay. I liked in the film that they did that because there's a lot of, like, long, like, uncomfortable scenes. Like, you know, when he's in the bedroom, when he starts getting a bit affected and... Oh, when Danny da- comes yeah, in? Yeah, Danny yeah. comes in, like, sits on his lap and he's just like, Daddy, are you going to hurt us? Like, that whole scene was, was weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, in that bathroom scene. And they're, they're even, like, standing awkwardly. Like, it doesn't... It, it's just unsettling, everything about it. Yeah. Yeah, again, like, how isolated the hotel is way up in the mountains and then the snow, which, you know, at some points is, like, up to the roof. Yeah, you know, I do, I do like the transition from, like, the first time you see it, it's this lush, beautiful, like, wide-open area. Yeah. And then throughout the movie, it just descends, much like his madness, into just, yeah. like, this just horrible fucking Arctic snow everywhere. Mm. I must have misremembered it too because I thought he destroyed the radio, like bashed it, but he just like opens it and removes like a cartridge yeah. or something. And ma- maybe that's what they do in The Simpsons. Must be. <laughs> just, oh, I'm glad that's over. I started to get worried there. <laughs> oh, God damn it. That's your last one. That's it. Yeah, I swear that'll be it. Uh, and yeah, like, well, I guess back on like those long, awkward scenes when like Danny does the long distance shine and it shows Dick like at home. Just the, like, zoom out of the naked, like, <clears throat> portraits of yeah. the women on his wall. That's to me, he's just, he's living his best life. He's a, yeah. he's a Floridian 60-something-year-old mm-hmm. bachelor. Yeah. I don't know. He and then you it. just get that, like, really long, slow, close zoom on his face. <laughs> just freak it out. Yeah. It's... Uh, there's a few I, of those. I could see why people would call it slow. Yeah. Like the whole movie. Yeah. I think the point, though cinematically is to to make the viewer uncomfortable which definitely worked for me and that's what i like about it Mm. we need to talk about the last shot 
of this film. So like, is the very which one's the very? Is it that it Jack zooms in, the... in on that photo, that black and oh, white okay, photo yeah, yeah, yeah. of him as the caretaker in 1921, which yep. I presume presumably is like 50 odd years before it's set. Yep. What do you make of that? Okay, so what I make of that is that, like I was saying before, his soul has pretty much left his body mm-hmm. and has been tainted by the hotel. So now his soul is a part of it. Okay. If that makes enough sense. Okay. Like, I don't... Like, it It wouldn't make any sense for that photo to exist the whole time. Yeah. Like, he wasn't originally in that photo. Like, I assume it's just every like, time the hotel maybe corrupts someone, mm. they become a part of it. And so they get into a, a fucking photo or something. I like that. That's cool. It's like an illusion that the hotel... Puts yeah, forth and it's, it's just, like claimed souls. Yeah, it's claimed souls. I like that. What's your take on it? I didn't really have one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I just I just thought it was a nice kind of like head fuck at the end of it. Because there, um, there was that scene as well when he's in the bathroom with Grady and he first says, no, you're that whack job um, caretaker who butchers oh, family. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 Mr. Torrent Jack, you're confused. You're the caretaker here. You always have been. Yeah, you've always been the caretaker. <laughs> yeah, I did like that tie-in. Um, yeah, I just kind of like it as being a weird out-of-place thing that like doesn't have to be explained because it like a lot of the film is so dreamlike and mm-hmm. um, you can't tell often what's like a hallucination or not. That's kind of just how, how it ends with uncertainty, like mm-hmm. fucking Inception or some shit. <laughs> I just really like that. And... One thing I wanted to mention while I was talking about the plot as well is uh, this was another film where it's a great example of the kid being smarter than the adults. You know, when like Danny's getting chased uh, in the in the, the snow, like in the maze, and he stops to like walk back through mm-hmm. his footprints and Jack loses him. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that. And uh, he's five. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have probably thought of that. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's, it's funny that like he is a smart kid. He does that. And he gets out of the maze, but then Jack, the fucking adult in the situation, mm. fucking can't find his way out of the maze. But yeah. I think, I think maybe also there's something to be said there about, like, if he'd spent more time previously with his family going into the maze, then mm. he would know. But because yeah. he neglected them this whole time and he's never even stepped foot into the maze, then, like, from the get-go, he was doomed as soon as he went into it. Okay. Because he was like, also very drunk. <laughs> uh, Well, he wasn't technically drunk because it's not like he was drinking anything. It was all hallucinations. Because that, because they say, fucking at the beginning when the oh, his name Oldman is giving them a tour, he's like all the alcohol, like we take it over the winter because like yeah. it's cheaper for a license, and he's like, oh, that's fine, you know, uh, we don't drink, and okay. so there's no alcohol on the premises at all. So yeah. every time there's a hallucination, it's just imaginary booze. So you, th- so because he thinks that he's drinking alcohol. He acts drunk because... To well, him I just think he's him. batshit insane, <laughs> you know? And that, you know, like the drinking has nothing to do with it. Okay. Because I, I think it that, can... In, in my mind, okay, I was, I'm just realizing this now. Yeah. That's more a metaphor of his surrendering to the hotel. Oh, like yeah. he's surrendering to his alcoholism by taking the, like, the imaginary drink. Mm. But that's also symbolizing his, like, surrendering to his insanity and like the a, hotel. Oh, okay. Like the it's relapse like, is more yeah. so a metaphor for... Just, yeah, accepting his fate. Welcome back, Jack. <laughs> so we are back. We just uh, uh, shat ourselves because mid-recording, the laptop died. Turns out I plugged it in to the power outlet and did not put the switch on. It's an old laptop. The battery doesn't last I that mean, long. I mean, what are we in? What is this episode? 16, 17? Uh, this is 18. Fuck me. 18. <laughs> so 18 episodes. That was bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah, Looking. look. 
Technology, can't live with it, can't live without it. That's but it. Uh, I mean, user error is a. Can't mm-hmm. complain. Mm-hmm. So I hope you enjoyed what we were just talking about because we can't really remember. Yeah, thanks. Fuck right. it, saved. I was panicking for a split second yeah. there. Anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, uh, real quick, <laughs> it is four twenty. Praise it. Oh, nice. Uh, but we were talking about like uh, the slow zooms and the way it was shot. So I think that'd be a good segue into talking like the technique, the, the technique of the film. Yeah, Go like like I said at the start of this episode, just I feel like there's as much to take in with the way that it was done as there is the performance in the story. And I guess the most notable thing that you pick up pretty early on in this is the composition of all the shots. Like, there's a lot of symmetry. There's a lot of, like, shots through door frames. Mm-hmm. Things like that, um, which are just, like, satisfying to see. <laughs> like, the, the way that they position it, it's characters. It's almost like the whole thing is actually framed. Yeah, and it kind of gives me that vibe of, like, almost in Hereditary, where it's like the actual house is viewed as a, like a dollhouse mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like you're peering into it mm. from the outside, maybe. Yeah, and a lot of reflections as well. Um, like that scene we mentioned where Jack and Danny are in the bedroom and it shows Jack talking to Danny, but you can see his like reflection mm-hmm. in the mirror back at him, almost like there's two of him, which I kind of see as like a good oh, analogy yeah. for the split personality thing going on. Which I'd like better if they leaned into that more and it wasn't just mm. he's crazy the whole time. Well, I guess it kind of does lead to that whole red rum thing in the mirror. Yeah, that's another thing where before I watched this movie, obviously I'd heard of like red rum. I yeah. thought it was a bigger part of the movie because yeah. like Danny says it a couple of times and then it's got the sequence where he writes it in lipstick and then you see it in the reflection. But like other than being creepy, what's the point of that? Yeah, I know, because it's almost like Red Rum. What's Red Rum? And then he sees the reflection and says murder. It's like, oh my God, he's going to murder us. Like, you can kind of get that yeah. vibe without that whole Red Rum thing. Yeah, he's fucking also, hunting you down with an But axe. also, why is it Red Rum? Is Tony backwards? Uh, I think because from Danny's perspective, when he's in the bedroom with the mother, like sitting on the bed, when they look into the mirror, they can read it as murder. Yeah. But he was looking at the door through like maybe his eyes when he wrote it. So as a premonition, let's say, you know, air quotes, Tony mm-hmm. was showing him, he had to kind of interpret that. And it wasn't until he was physically there in the future, looking at it from the other way in the mirror that he understood. Uh, okay, maybe. That's convoluted as shit, but so that, all right. I mean, that explains why it was written backwards, but it still doesn't really give much substance to why it was included. Yeah, I guess it was just a cool shot that they thought of. Like, hey, yeah. you know, good. Let's write red rum. But also... Maybe it was in the book. Maybe I'm just good with words. Like, is there anyone that sees the word red rum and think, oh, that, it looks just like murder backwards. I don't know. It wasn't hard. Like, yeah, I, would, I would have thought that'd just be like very easy to work. Yeah. Out. That's what like, they mean. In the book, as soon as they like mentioned red rum, even without seeing the movie, I would have been like, oh yeah, murder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like I've mentioned before, lots of long tracking shots, lots of aerial shots like that, mm-hmm. that famous opening sequence. Yeah. That's got to be the most beautiful or iconic like opening yeah. sequence to any movie ever well even then like as the car's winding up the mountain the the beetle the, the beetle yes yeah. uh Much they baby. kind of do that again when jack's looking at the model maze mm-hmm. and then it kind of like does that again that like hereditary thing where it, like slowly zooms in to wendy and danny actually in the maze mm-hmm. that was really nice and i also like the the long corridors of this like symmetrical hallway kind of creates this natural vertigo effect as the camera's like moving through because you're kind of like focusing on the room that it's in but as you can see further down they all look the same and it mm-hmm. kind of looks like the whole stretches without actually doing anything like, in editing like the dolly zoom but yeah just the way it's built yeah i thought that was sick um 
A lot of dissolve transitions I noticed as well. Like, there's not a lot of hard cuts, and if there is, it's like for effect. Like when there's a glimpse shot of the the girls being hacked up in the oh, hallway. Yeah, that's or, a very good sequence. Or even when it cuts from like Jack staggering around in the maze with the axe to being frozen in broad daylight. <laughs> like when it's used, a cut is really effective in this film. But almost every transition is just like a crossfade, and I kind of uh, I presume that's to sh- like fit with the slow nature of like the the narrative mm-hmm. but kind of also like the bleed between reality and fantasy like blurring together those mm-hmm. two different worlds i thought which i really liked um and even like the title cards of like the chapter titles and the days of the week yeah i completely forgot that they were even yeah back to the, the when he's frozen the in the in the maze yeah why the fuck did he have that face like who it's such a goofy-looking facial expression that he has. Well, you know the facial expression he pulls at the typewriter and when he's <laughs> accusing him of strangling Danny. He's got, yeah, he's got a weird range. I don't know. It's just such an interesting choice of like, all right, fucking bam, protagonist, sorry, antagonist is yeah. dead, frozen in the forest. Let's have his like fucking... <laughs> it's like they caught him mid-crap or something. Yeah, I don't know. It just looks so goofy and out of place. Yeah, it is strange because he's like, he's got like a taut mouth and his yeah. eyes are like rolled back. Uh, I do like when he's, like, running around in the maze, like, f- essentially freezing to death. Mm. I'm not sure if you know anything about hypothermia, but, like, one of the symptoms is you just incoherently start screaming. I've seen Titanic. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. No. Uh, Jack inco- oh, my God, Jack. Why, why, do you uh, start, why do you start screaming? Uh, it's just kind of, I don't know, like, any. it's just one of the stages of hypothermia. Like, you get cold, you start shivering, and then you stop shivering because you get so cold, and then you just sort of start incoherently just babbling or... Okay. Yeah, I know, it's just a sign of your brain sort of shutting down and oh, I guess you're losing blood flow to your brain, maybe? I don't know, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I mean, I think I have read or heard that it can kind of seem like dementia because they'll, mm. you'll, like, say something to them and they'll say the same thing again, almost like when you're running out of air, yeah, I think, I, as well. Yeah, I mean, because I, I think at the root of it, it's probably just, like, brain damage. Yeah. Uh, so I like that yeah. they, in, like, showed that he's succumbing to mm. hypothermia. Well, that's like if people, like... Are clinically dead and they're brought back even if it's just like minutes later sometimes they can have brain damage mm-hmm. when they come back so there was just no oxygen I guess mm-hmm. getting to the brain yeah there are something <laughs> going on in this area all these dogs are fucking setting off a chain reaction I don't know if the mic's picking this up but it's kind of eerie close that door <laughs> alright thank you for bearing with us in that intermission we now... What a weird fucking episode this has been. Come back. Just you, constant yeah. interruptions. Things are going wrong. Words, this battery. is The Shining. Jesus. It's haunted. This is a haunted recording session. Or we're just very unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, forget to turn on the fucking bow switch. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a lot about like the visual uh, aspect of this film. But even the sound design is really interesting. Like I mentioned before, that tracking shot of like Danny on his trike. I love when he's kind of wheeling along the hardwood floors and then it's like carpeted and then the sound comes back like that raw yeah. audio. Really cool to see. Um, to hear. Well, yeah. I mean, it's cool to hear uh, what you're seeing mm-hmm. because it would have been so easy to kind of like dub that with Foley or something um, of just like wheeling over carpet or a solid floor. But mm-hmm. the fact that they broke it up, I don't know if that was like deliberate or that's just like, they had the set design and it worked out that way and they thought it sounded really cool. Yeah, I mean, it does sound cool. It's very, like, jarring because it's, like, very silent to, like, very, like, loud on a hardwood floor. Yeah, and even, like, I guess to show 
more so the isolation and how alone they are is like when Jack's uh, bouncing the tennis ball off the wall and um, the clack of the typewriter. Like It's like horribly echoed. Yeah, it's like all these noises in this big reverberant space just kind of reminds you how alone they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought that was just a nice touch. And I like too where there's like that kettle whistle whenever Dick or... Danny are about to shine. Oh yeah, like I think it's the like first a, ones in the pantry. A, an audi- audio representation of them shining. Yeah, like a white noise kind of vibe. Mm. Yeah, that was really cool. And I, I don't know if that was like legitimately a kettle whistle, but that's what it sounded like to me. Dream like, whistle? I don't know. Because that could be a good like sign of something like coming to a head. Okay. Like that's, about hit boiling that is, point. That's deep right there. <laughs> I like that. And again, like we mentioned, that opening scene of the car driving up to the, the Overlook Hotel, you get that big, deep, like, booming brass score mm-hmm, of, like, mm-hmm. those just those four notes kind of, like, <laughs> signify impending doom or something. It is so something. crazy. Like, this and Jaws, how just so few notes yeah. can just create such a sense of, like, I don't know, intensity or suspense. Mm. I don't weird. know. I don't know if it's, like, the same theory when you're, like, writing lyrics, like a simple hook is always the most memorable. And maybe it's the same with music. Like, if it was some complex score, like fucking Beethoven wrote, <laughs> you know, did the composition for this film. Like, it won't be as memorable as just like, or, or you know what I mean? Anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I could take a couple of notes and I can guarantee it won't turn out anywhere near <laughs> as good as this stuff. Uh, and the set design I've mentioned, like, I think they did do a lot of the shots, either external or in, uh, exterior or interior, at a particular hotel. It wasn't the Stanley Hotel, but that's kind of like where the inspiration came from. Mm-hmm. But um, And a lot of it were sets and they constructed the sets uh, like side by side so they could kind of move fluently from, uh, fluidly from one to another w- without the actors kind of breaking oh, yeah. their concentration. Because did they... Is this one of the ones they filmed chronologically or am I making that up completely? Uh, I think they did chiefly. Okay. Uh, because one of those ones where it's like mainly high chronologically apart from a couple of things. Yeah, I don't know if the reason for that would have been more so for Kubrick's OCD. Um, yeah, I can see that. Well, because I reckon that would work well unintentionally like with his treatment of Shelley Duvall because then yeah. like over the course of shooting because I don't know how long they shot for mm. but like over the course of shooting she'd probably become more and more stressed like you'd see the physical symptoms like hair probably going a bit yeah you know, gray or crazy or just yeah. she'd be looking more and more tired that especially is... if they're doing hundreds of takes yeah exactly and even like um just I guess when they're getting more and more into the role like when Jack is getting more delirious and in, and maniacal, and when Wendy is kind of getting more terrified and like blubbery, mm-hmm. like maybe it would have just been easier to film like them just getting more and more like crazy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, if there were like breaks in the bathroom door or um, blood on the walls, anything like that, like maybe it would have just been easier to have that in like the background of shots that come later in the narrative. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm. I'm sure the the blood hallway scene was probably not filmed chronologically, mm. right? I was trying to keep an eye out for any kind of inconsistencies in the like continuity of it, but I didn't pick up on anything. There's a lot of theories, like mm. fan theories or conspiracy theories about the movie. I'm sure you've heard about. Okay, uh, one of them is that like, what well, it uses objects in the background moving mm-hmm. as a way to like explain that either they're in hell or they're. I think one of them's being experimented on 
by CIA hallucinations oh or my. something like that. But whereas realistically, it's probably just uh, yeah continuity errors. Yeah, okay. I mean, the most the most famous fan theory is that Stanley Kubrick was the one who shot the fake moon landing, and this is sort of his <laughs> like he included Easter eggs in this movie to like allude to that. So, oh like, my you've god! Got, you've got the shot where Danny's wearing his like Apollo Eleven sweater. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's a stretch. It's a stretch. There, there are other things in the movie, I think, that are meant to allude to it, but I think everything in there is like people mm. reading into it way too much, trying to shoehorn there a view of the fucking moon lamb and be like, hey, look, Stanley Kubrick, he put yeah, things in wow. here for a reason. Okay, that's quite far-fetched. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a whole documentary on it. And I mean, even like that famous hexagonal like carpet pattern, like the <laughs> orange and red and brown. Yep. Like, I've seen that in things before. I mean, it's in Toy Story, I think. Oh, really? I think that's Sid's carpet. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's cool. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, obviously it's just such a hugely influential film in horror and cinema, but also in, like, music and pop culture, like, obviously The Simpsons, but, um, like, in music, I, I forgot until I was doing a bit of research on this that, uh, like, the music videos for Spit It Out by Slipknot, they kind of parody the hallway scene and um, the Kill by 30 Seconds Mars mm-hmm. is kind of set in like those uh, those kind of halls okay. with the same kind of costuming and everything, which was really cool. Both bangers, by the way. I said this to you the other day, must have subconsciously influenced my own filmmaking style. Like back when I used to make a lot of short films mm-hmm. when I was younger, um, we went back and rewatched a lot of them on my hard drive recently. And everything from like... You know, the, the long tracking shots, the title cards of what day of the week it was, um, the like sudden music with the short clip of something in between a long shot. Like yep. all of that I was seeing in The Shining and it wasn't until I rewatched it this week that I was like, oh my God, that's where I got it from. You're practically Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Except you didn't make Jaden, you know, do the same line a hundred times. No, probably like, just as much should've. OCD. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it's cool to see, um, even without realizing, I guess, sometimes uh, like how much of an impact this film had and also interesting to see like how much the the person who uh obviously had the concept for it was not a fan mm. yeah so it's um it's just one of those things it's become like a cultural phenomenon and this is one of my favorites and and i know you're a sucker for films where it's just like someone descending into madness like look at fucking lighthouse and yeah which is, which is why i would have i think i would have liked this movie better if it leaned more into that instead mm. of the supernatural stuff okay because i'm not really a supernatural guy as we know yeah i mean I'm, I'm fine with it you know being in there okay i just i think it's more interesting yeah when it's just a man that descends into madness so you reckon like without having these hallucinations and if it was just the isolation that was making him go insane uh I mean, who am I to tell Stanley Kubrick <laughs> how yeah. to fucking make a movie? But I, w- yeah, I would have liked it. Like, they could still be hallucinations, but they're just hallucinations. There's no hint of supernaturalness going oh, on. Oh, like it's not the like, overlook that's I w- doing it. I wouldn't it. have any of the Shining um, stuff. Okay. Uh, I probably wouldn't have the photo at the end. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Just, just more, more him going crazy. Okay. Interesting. Maybe, maybe more... Like I said before, lean into the split personality where maybe sometimes he's normal. He's a good loving husband. Yeah. You know, some days he's not. Some days he's completely withdrawn. And mm. I don't know. I think that'd be, that'd be interesting. See, I'm reading a book at the moment that a friend's lending me, uh, Supermarket by the Rapper Logic. Uh-huh. And that is kind of giving me Fight Club vibes where it's essentially, I- I'm probably like three quarters of the way through at the moment. So I obviously don't know how it ends, but it's essentially, um, it's written in the first person uh, about this. Um, author who 
it takes a job at a supermarket to try and get ideas for a novel set in a supermarket. So mm-hmm. he wants to see like all the ins and outs, how it works, um, get ideas for characters so he can base them on actual mannerisms and personalities he's seen in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turns out he's actually insane. Um, <laughs> and he, he already published a hugely successful best-selling novel three years ago. Oh, And okay. he's got like millions of dollars in his bank account, but he drove himself insane um, creating this world that he now like thinks is the real world. So that, that's, in- that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So these characters and like sets that he sees in the supermarket are actually like his mind's version of what's around him in the psychiatric hospital. Maybe it's just working in retail sent him crazy. <laughs> Cause I buy that. Yeah. Look, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> no, a good friend from work, Jess. Uh, and Dave, if, if you're listening, got me, uh, I, I believe the same Goosebumps collection that Alex got you. Hell I think yeah. we compared the titles and That's it's the it. same. What is it, like 30 kind of reissues of some of the classics? Yep, 30 books. See, there's one in there that we both don't recall from the original series the called Haunted The Haunted Car. Car. Yeah, yep. what the hell is that? Like, I, Christine? Yeah, I got no idea. I don't remember. I mean, I know when I had, like, the original series, I didn't have every single one, but mm. I don't even remember, like, hearing of The Haunted well, Car. Well, I barely owned any. It was always just sort of borrowing them from the school library. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's probably why I don't remember a lot of them. No, nah, but I'm keen. I'm probably going to start with uh, Welcome to Dead House, of yeah. course, and then I'm thinking I'll move on to my favourite, uh, Night of the Living Dummy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get some slappy in you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you said, I think, in the Jaws episode, you were intending to kind of, like... Uh, as you finish them, kind of mm-hmm. give them like a quick review on the pot. Have yep. you have you finished the first one yet? I have not. No, I, I've, <laughs> no, I, I finished the first one. I finished the Night of the Living Dummy. Oh, okay. I just yeah. I then started. What is it? Deep Trouble. Deep Trouble. Okay. And nice. then very fitting. Have not since then. No, that's cool. I'm busy and I have and to take time to read. And how was Night of the Living Dummy? As good as you remember? I'll be honest with you. I didn't remember a single bit of it. Okay. <laughs> well, so you were telling me a bit of it. I think when you like were flicking through it when we used to live together, and it yeah. did not sound familiar at all. I'm starting to think I never originally read that one, oh, and okay. I was thinking of one of the other Night of the Living Dummy. Oh books. right, because there's like what at least three of them. Oh, at least three. Got to be like five to ten. Okay, surely. shit. Um, but it was okay. It dull things are not really my jam either. Like, not, not an Annabelle fan? Other, not, not, an, not an Annabelle fan at all. Chucky is good. I like Child's Play because, again, it's a man inside of a mm. doll. It's not a haunted doll. And you liked the boy, right? I did like the boy, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm yet to see that. Yeah, so I won't spoil that then. Uh, but it was fine. What about the doll and saw? <laughs> Billy the Puppet? Billy the Puppet? That's good. I like that. Because it's, it's not... It's just, you know, it's an actual doll. Yeah. Yeah. I got a friend actually at work who's, um was looking at buying one of the actual dolls they used in filming. How expensive would that be? It was in the thousands. It was under 10. Okay. Because, I mean, thousands I would expect, but I would expect many thousands. No, no. Yeah. He, he said, like, he could afford it if he wanted to. And he was, like, saying he'd put it in his recording studio. Just, like, hang it over <laughs> the speakers. Damn. That's but, cool. Uh, anyway, I'm uh, I'm ready to wrap this up if you are good, sir. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll end it with the question: Would you take the job that that is posited in this movie? Do they ever like, stipulate how much he's to earn from this? Gig? They do not. They don't say how much. Okay. But if we could assume it's like an average salary. Okay. Well, I mean, the fact that he's got an entire like mansion-like hotel mm-hmm. to himself for yes. see, all, winter all is food, three months, but he says like included. four to five months, I think, in the film. Uh... Shit, I don't know. Five? Five months. I'm getting a five. So that's almost half a year. You've got this entire, like, let's say, hotel to yourself. And even, like, the fully stocked fridge and pantry mm-hmm. and everything. Like like Dick says, you can 
be here, you know, for years and not have the same menu twice. Yeah. End of October to beginning of May. Thank you, Alex. Is what it is. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, okay. But also keeping in mind in the 80s. So this is not current day. So Halloween to April Fool's. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I take it on? Look, if I had like a family or even just like friends like mm-hmm. with if me. If you had friends, continue. <laughs> I would. Because I would like use it to just make a bunch of music and do some writing. But given that like... It's that hotel. If I <laughs> if I knew going to that, I'd be like, fuck no. No, I mean, okay. If it, I was in his I'm, position, I'm though. talking real world here. Like, not like it's not actually a haunted mansion. It's just becoming. Oh. It's just going somewhere to be completely isolated. No outside. Like they get TV, I think, but it's old, terrible, shitty TV. No beer and no TV make up for something. Something. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, I had to do it. Uh, um, yeah, look, I want to say yes, okay. just because I like the idea of an extended period of time to catch up on some things I don't give myself enough time to do, <laughs> but I forgot about the isolation and yeah. the fact that like, there's no way in or out because it's all fucking snowed in, yeah. hella I, cold. I suppose being a creative type would like lean heavily on the doing it side of it because you do get so much time to just sit down and do yeah. creative stuff. Well, that's why Jack Torrance wanted it. <laughs> exactly. Whereas I'm not a creative fella at all. I no. have no idea what I would do. Okay. It's, if I yeah, if I don't have a computer there with me or if I don't have just a sh- fucking five months worth of movies. Oh, and no beer, remember? Yeah, that's fine. You know, okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm trying that anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I don't know. It's... I, I would go crazy quicker than him, I think. Mm, yeah. No, Just that's for fair. nothing to do. We should wrap this up. Yep, that is it. That's that's all we have to say about the hit movie Shining or right. The Shining, if you're mm-hmm. one of those people that calls it its proper name. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You can catch us every Friday. We drop an episode, 5 p.m. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, you can catch us on Spotify. Facebook, Instagram. Radio, all that sort of shit. I don't know. Deadhouse Pods. Yep. Swing us a like, swing us a follow. We post a clue the next episode every Monday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're usually see, pretty see if we can guess it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll be right back.